Good morning. You are listening to Alaska's Native Voice. I am producer Emily Schwing here live. Uh, we're at the AFN convention in downtown Anchorage this morning. I'm joined by Trip Krause, our um, our trusty reporter at KNBA and Kowanik Broadcasting. Morning, Trip. Good morning. How's it going? It's going really good. It's uh, getting ready to be in a really exciting Friday and really looking forward to today's events. So let's talk about yesterday. Yesterday was, um, you know, a really energized opening for AFN. A lot of stuff happened in the first hour. It just gives me chills. (laughs) Do you want to just kick us off and tell us, you know, give us a brief synopsis of how things got going yesterday? Yeah, it was really kind of an unconventional note. The newly minted lieutenant governor uh, gave the deliver the keynote yesterday. Um, after the former lieutenant governor resigned, um, there's some stipulations and things that happened that um, forced his resignation, and uh, Governor Bill Walker uh, swore in Valerie Davidson as the new lieutenant governor, and so she's only got a few weeks before the gubernatorial yeah, election. <laughs> three so weeks before the election, so yeah. we'll see if if Alaska holds on to her as lieutenant governor. Yeah. No. Um, it's really significant to the Native community in Alaska that Val Davidson is the lieutenant governor. She's the first Alaska Native woman to hold the position. She's Yupik. Um, talk about what we heard from her yesterday in her keynote. It was uh, pretty somber at first. She sort of acknowledged the, the situation that happened. Um, and She said it was a really tough time, but she was ready to move forward. And she thought that they were in a really good position to carry the previous administration's uh, actions and, and um, forward. Um, and so it was really kind of a progressive speech. Yeah, I, what I was, she was just very good humored. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was, she, there was one point where she was talking about issues that Alaska Native people face, including diabetes, obesity, um, alcoholism. And she said, um, with respect to obesity, it was something that she personally had struggled with. And then she kind of took her hands down her, the sides of her body and she made this joke about um, her seal-like shape that made her fast in the water but slow on land, yeah, yeah. Um, which was just so delightful. Um, she also talked about um, really working for dignity for all Alaskans. She called on safety for women. And one thing that I thought really stood out um, and has really started to come to the forefront um, from interviews that I've done all day is that um, there's a lot of call for men to step up and protect Alaska Native women. Uh, did that stand out for you? Yeah, um, it was really interesting. Throughout the whole day, it was it was a lot of conversation about um, gender-based violence and child care and child well-being. And she really sort of took the initiative on that keynote and, and, and pulled the uh, men back into the conversation and, and, you know, really called on them to, to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. So what took place this week in Alaska was pretty crazy considering that we've got an election <laughs> in three weeks and I think um, everyone from reporters to the governor's office is just scrambling to figure out what happens next. Byron Malat resigned abruptly earlier this week. Um, Val Davidson was sworn in immediately as lieutenant governor. This all comes after allegations that um, and it's not even allegations like I guess Byron Malat admitted to using unsavory language towards a woman. There's no further details on that. Um, but then we moved on to hear from the governor himself after we heard Valerie Davidson's keynote. And that was um, quite, he was very emotional. Yeah, you could definitely tell uh, Val, Val was very uh, smooth in her delivery and she had really great banter. And you could definitely tell there's something on 
Walker's mind. He acknowledged the fact that uh, Byron Malat is his friend and always will be, and this won't change it. But he, one of the comments that he made that really stuck out to me was that he said, you know, even even good people fall, but it's what we do after that when we admit to it and we own up to it and we try to push everything forward. And and Walker really kind of made the comment about um, making sure that all people and women particularly have respect and that they're listened to and they're heard, um, which has kind of been the um, a pretty key element throughout this whole um, past couple of days is, you know, this national movement to make sure that those stories are coming in and people are being believed. I, I think what we really heard that struck me also was a lot of emotion from Governor Walker. Um, at one point, he described Byron Malat as his soulmate and his brother. And so it was just really telling um, in terms of how hard this has been on the governor and, you know, this this race that he's trying to run for re-election um, and just also like how shocking this news as it broke this week was. Um, he also... I, I was impressed by how the governor um, moved to take responsibility um, for, you know, mistreatment and misconduct regarding Alaska Native people. What did you think of that? Uh, I was really floored. Um, that was one of the biggest pieces of news that came out of yesterday. And uh, Walker apologized to the Alaska Native people. It was a deep apology. Very deep. Um, and he made a comment about it was long overdue. Uh, but the you know the, the loss of language and boarding schools and um, you know all these other issues that really affect not only Alaska natives but natives across this, the U.S. We're going to take a break. Trip, thank you so much. I'm Emily Schwing, producer. This Thanks. is Alaska Native Voice. We're live from AFN in downtown Anchorage. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice from the Denina Center in Anchorage. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Protecting women and children from violence, which includes opening up discussions and working on policy and seeking to improve public safety is a priority among tribal leaders, advocates, and community members across Alaska. Two recent cases in the state have not only upset the Native community, but have increased calls for change. A 10-year-old Alaska Native girl who went missing and was later found dead. And a man was given no jail time after assaulting a woman. 
And joining me now is Debbie Atuk. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. Thank you for having me. And uh, Debbie, first introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I am originally from Nome, Alaska, and that's where I was raised. Uh, my family later moved on to uh, Anchorage, where I finished high school. Um, my dad is a, um, he was born in Wales, uh, which is called Kingigan in Inupiaq, and so that makes us Kingigmute, and uh, we're active here at AFN. Last night, their dance, uh, our dance group performed uh, the Kingigmute Dancers of Anchorage. So and that's something that I've been involved with since 1991, since the group formed. And tell me a little bit about why you're passionate about this issue. For me, this issue uh, caught my attention um, as I was following my social media feed. I, I serve on the board of uh, the Bering Straits uh, Native Corporation, and so I pay very close attention to issues that are developing around the state of Alaska that would affect um, people. So when this happened, I was alarmed and uh, while I was in Brooklyn, which is where I live right now, uh, I started doing some research into whether or not any resolutions were coming forward to address the fact of um, you know, some of the things that could have been done, um, I think, in a preventative nature uh, to help protect Ashley. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that there were some, uh, something that was gonna be done at AFN on this topic. Uh, in my research, no one seemed to have uh, any knowledge of a particular resolution that was specific to it. So I was encouraged by Gail Schubert to go ahead and draft something, and then I started contacting um, people. I really wanted uh, the Kotzebue region to pick it up, and um, I was ultimately connected with Liz Cravalo from uh, NANA, and she got it picked up, and uh, we did the draft together. She got it through committee, and now it's a, a resolution to speak to the issue of children being um, harmed and not protected by the justice system. Thank you for that, Deb and uh, Debbie. And I also want to introduce um, some other guests joining us this morning, um, Yvonne Peter and uh, Richard Peterson. Uh, Yvonne, please introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Yvonne Peter. I come from the community of Ashrenko, also known as Arctic Village. Um, currently work up at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And uh, Richard, please introduce yourself. Well, good morning, Richard Peterson. I'm president of uh, Clinkett and Haida there in Juneau and uh, from the village of Kisan. And uh, Richard, tell me a little bit about why you think it's important for men to be involved in this conversation when we're talking about sex abuse and missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Well, you know, yesterday I attended the Defend the Sacred rally and uh, it was really uh, empowering to hear some of the women speak and talk about the roles men had and, uh, you know, we were defenders, and so we got to reclaim that role, I think, you know, and be that example to our young people on the proper way to treat ourselves, treat our women. And I think with colonization, we've really lost that. And Yvonne, would you like to add to what um, Richard said? Yes, I completely agree with uh, with that point. You know, I think one of the things that um, as a as a young native boy growing up myself, um, I think the impacts of colonization on our people were really prevalent and there was a lot of struggles um, going on then as there are now for our young people growing up. And one of the things that I would, was wanting growing up was uh, solid male role models 
who were demonstrating through how they were living their lives and how they were engaging um, to be able to be there to provide some of that guidance and support and help provide safe spaces for our young people and children to grow up. And so I think that it's really important for us to also be involved in this conversation. I also think that, you know, um, we have a role in helping to hold one another accountable, you know, when things do occur. And I think that's a, a, a p an important part of this conversation. And maybe you'll be asking us questions towards that end later. But And uh, Debbie, um, what are your thoughts on having men be included in making change? I'm really glad you asked me that because since the uh, KTUU interview aired on uh, Monday, it's such a long week, uh, I've had uh, many people come up to me and talk to me about uh, having seen that. And when men talk about it, it seems like uh, one of the things I hear most is I had no idea and that just like makes me feel like oh okay so it is vital that we start to talk about this the people who have experiences like our discomfort talking about what has happened to us it's no it's a luxury to hold on to that we have to let it go because half the population doesn't know air quotes so we have to make sure they know so that they can be allies and to protect us and to help us like uh the other guests have been talking about be a part of the solution and make sure that women are treated appropriately with dignity and children are kept safe and for you personally how did you decide or was there a moment or how because everybody's different we know that the the shocking statistics when it comes to this issue so personally how did you um, decide to start talking about it honestly it was Ashley's story I read that on I was following when you know, she was missing, I was following the vigils, and then when they discovered her body, I literally broke down at my computer and just sobbed. And I thought, this is probably a known predator. And he was. And people from the community have come up to me and said, we knew to keep our kids away from him. And I just, I just felt like this animal inside of me just came alive that was like, I'm gonna put a stake in the heart of this. Like that, w it was literally that moment. And Richard, um, this the issue about having the predators in the community, what's some of the work being done with at your tribes to address that? So we have um, some Department of Justice funding that we're using. We're, um, we have programs that are around sacred um, roles, such as fatherhood, motherhood, families. And so we're trying to um, be more preventative. We, we're creating a position in the tribe where we're gonna um, we're actually going to focus on the men and preventive and pr uh, providing role models. You know, in our in Clinket Haida tradition, uh, we married our opposites. And so our uncles raised us. And so a young man would have been given the guidance and, and protocols by his uncle. And so we're going to provide that and try to start building in for our young men before their um, uh doing these bad things, you know, teaching that respect, modeling the behavior. You know, I told my story yesterday. I've never seen my father hit my mother, but both of my parents came from homes where their fathers abused their mothers and, and them and their siblings, and they had to make a choice. And so, you know, to be healthy, we have to model that behavior. We need to, we have to have honest conversations with our youth. And, you know, it's really hard because a lot of times we want to keep it hidden away and in the dark and oh yeah that's uncle 
you know, stay away from Uncle John or whatever. Well, no, we need to call out Uncle John and say, if you're not going to acknowledge this, if you're not going to heal, you can't be a part of our family. And those are the kind of things that we have to really start getting in for our young people so that they're not afraid to call out Uncle John. And shame, you know, um, the uncomfortableness about talking about it. How is that being addressed, do you see, Yvonne? Well, I, first I want to reemphasize the points that um, both Richard and Debbie made, which is that, you know, a, par a part of my work prior to my current position was doing suicide prevention work in many different villages across the state and a consistent um, experience that was connected to that was sexual abuse for a lot of the, the young people who were struggling. And in, in too many of those cases, they the perpetrators were people who were um, closely connected to or related to the individual and in some cases um, their own parents would tell them not to speak about it because think about how that will impact the bigger family and it goes to the silencing that Debbie brought up that then allows perpetrators to continue to then have more victims in the communities or in other communities and it really is devastating and, and it needs to stop and you know whatever um, we can put into place to move forward in that effort that is focused on a preventative and healing and restorative justice approach, I think is really the direction that we need, we need to go. Um, and and I, I realize that, you know, it is systemic and there are challenges with our laws and regulations, policies and institutions that, that actually make it difficult for people who want to take an approach and address it to approach it um, out of fear of lawsuits and liability and other things. But, but somehow we have to get past that and, and we need to tackle this issue because it's, it's, um, having too significant an impact on our people's well-being. And uh, Debbie, you're sitting over there shaking your head. Go ahead. Oh, I am just so glad that Yvonne um, has had that experience firsthand of talking to survivors of um, childhood sexual violence and, and being able to, uh, to know that, that there is a link between people who go untreated and then become at high risk of suicide. I, I think that's something that the Tanana youth were so brave to bring up in 2013 at AFN. So moving and powerful. Here we are five years later, and I think there is good work going on, but I think that we need to just like keep pushing it. Go, go ahead, Richard. Uh, Debbie mentions the, the Tanana youth that came forward. You know, all these people coming forward, though, is making the conversation easier, and, and that gives us courage. You know, I myself had never admitted that I had been molested as a youth. And I was really terrified to do that because I always believed people that were became predators. And it took me a long time to learn that, you know, predators were abused, but, you know, t not all abused become predators. And I was really worried about that stigma that would carry with, especially as a man. And, you know, in my village, you know, hunter provider, all these things that you wear, I didn't want that to be what I was known for. And so I was afraid to, to even admit it. And I was already uh, president of my village tribe for 18 years. And, uh, you know, in these leadership roles, I didn't want to admit that. And uh, but, you know, the other thing that we have to do is we have to heal and we have to forgive. And that means also forgiving the person who can who has perpetrated these things. But the thing is, they have to be held accountable and we have to quit elevating them into leadership roles. I, I think that's the, one of the hardest things in Native villages is we continue to hold these people up. 
And look, we don't have to ostracize them from our village. We need to make sure they get healing and, and that it's out there and we're protected. But they shouldn't be in leadership. They've given that right up. And so I think we got to call it out and bring it out of the darkness. Yvonne? Yeah, I, I, you make me think, you know, when we talk about protecting our women and children, you know, among our children are also young boys. And that's a piece of this conversation as well, that there's a high prevalence of our young men. Um, it's courageous of you to share, you know, your story. I, too, also was sexually abused as a child. And, you know, as a man going through that sort of experience, it's... Um, similarly dehumanizing experience and causes lifelong struggles and many of our men who have been through those experiences shy away those um, who may have been abused as as a child um, and and are not perpetrators now as adults but they tend not to show up in spaces and to speak out and there are too many cases um, you know that I've experienced where leaders who are held up within a community and and then all the victims come out and start to speak to us as leaders and say hey don't you know that you all are elevating or perpetrator right now and you know i've made a decision uh, as a leader myself that whenever i get that message and and if it's clear to me that this is something that's uh, is occurred then i'm no longer trying to help hold that leader up you know and and I, but i do think that the next step of that is really finding a mechanism that's a healing mechanism for holding accountability and, and, and I think that's where in the Native community um, and, and beyond the Native community, there needs to be a focus and a conversation of what does that look like for us from our own people because the Western court system's not really creating a space that's either hold, holding accountability or justice, but, but certainly is not a restorative or healing-based approach either. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of going on here this week at the Elders and Youth Conference and the Alaska Federation of Natives annual convention and publicly talking about this and, and people coming forward. We had a Jack, Jackie Pated with the National Congress of American Indians, part of her address. She was talking about the tribal um, leaders conference this week, but then she also talked about this issue and, and, and told her own personal story. Um, Debbie, how do you feel about um, this conversation being on such a large platform? I'm so heartened by it because I feel like one of the things that it does is it does take away the stigma of sharing and not just uh, the stigma for uh, people who may have been victims, but also for their family. And to see, you know, we really have to work, I think, on the family model uh, to help the families understand how to support someone who has been a victim, to help them to say that it's okay to talk about this, you know, to make it more normal to talk about it. And uh, I think that is absolutely vital. I, I think we, we've talked a lot about this from the perspective of the the victims but you know the families need to be trained and um, taught how to talk about this without feeling like their child is something to be ashamed of that you know the shame belongs on the perpetrator and the, I think that I, I totally agree with uh, Richard and Yvonne the perpetrators need to be treated very often they were previously victims and so I would like to make sure that that is addressed in um, the resolution that comes out um, resolution 1812 that there is a line in there about making sure that perpetrators get um, mental health support because they probably were victims themselves and at the tribal leaders conference this week um, you had both the governor and lieutenant governor the entire cabinet and what was said about in particular this issue Richard you know, this wasn't one of the bigger topics. I think drugs and, and safety were, but I'm a, I serve on the Governor's Tribal Advisory Council, and it's a, it's a big conversation there. We, we talk very um, 
much about it. We talk about very hard issues at the GTAC level. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I'm very supportive of this governor is he's listening. He really, truly is. He's sincere. And he, he has, at every one of our meetings, every commissioner is there. And they hear us talk about these things. And, you know, we want them to focus on, you know, the healing and prevention. And prevention is kind of a hard topic for people because it's so big. And it's like, how do you focus on prevention? What does that mean? I think it's, you know, about creating healthy families. As Debbie said, you know, we got to address how do you be a healthy family? So we have a program called Families Are Sacred where they focus on what it is what it is for some of our folks to be parents and to take accountability you know unfortunately a lot of our in our communities a lot of our parents are very young and they didn't really have that and if they come from those homes they don't they want to break those cycles but don't know how so we're pre in our region we're creating this opportunity through counseling and healthy activities where they can learn to model good parenting skills they're they're learning those skills and so we didn't hear that loud and clear at the tribal meeting the other day, but it, at the GTAC level, we're really focusing on it. And Yvonne, as a parent, how do you start discussions with your children about this? I, I mean, I, I have, well, I have four children, um, one son and three daughters, and, you know, both my wife, um, Ina, and I are very clear and direct with our children about the circumstances of the environment that they're living in and what's important for them to know so that they can be safe and because of the experiences in, in both my wife's family and my family and some of that history, we're particularly protective of, of our children and um, we want them to be able to grow up and be strong and healthy and a part of this generation that um, we want to raise right now who don't have to have gone through the experiences that some of us have went through so they can really from the foundation be whole people. And so we're... Um, very open in the conversations that we have with our children. I think that, you know, children know and understand a lot more than we think they do. And they soak up almost everything that they see that happens around them and that's shared with them. And so I think even if we think they're not hearing us or not, not listening sometimes, it's important for us to sit down with them as parents and uh, let them know that this is the, w the way things are in our world right now and this is where the direction that we're trying to head that's healthier and better for the future and, and that they're a part of that. And you know, a lot of issues uh, surrounding this, um, underlying issues, including alcoholism and poverty and depression. Um, what do you think, Debbie, is needed to address some of those issues for people who are dealing with, you know, abuse? So it's interesting because I do think that there needs to be a very holistic approach to this. And I think we've hit on a lot of the points here, uh, hearing Richard talk about the um, emphasis on teaching young parents how to um, raise healthy families. I think that's one step. And uh, getting some sort of uh, intervention for people who are dealing with now struggling with uh, drug or alcohol abuse. I mean, and we've talked about that extensively here at this convention. So I think that's going to be important. And there's a, a man named Doug Modig who has said that if you take away alcohol, you'll reveal um, sexual violence and domestic violence in the home. So I think they go hand in hand, treating alcoholism, treating drug addiction. You will find that there is underlying uh, violence and abuse that needs to be treated as well. We're going to take a short break here. Um, we are at the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention. You're listening, listening to 
Alaska's Native Voice, and today we're discussing um, sex abuse, and also I'm going to touch on missing and murdered Indigenous women, and some of the policy discussions that are happening, and also looking at um, healing and what some artists are doing around this issue. What are advocates, tribal leaders, and communities doing to address um, this issue here in Alaska? Uyana Nijukni Luji AFN Conventional Rank Una Paipta Niti Voice One Nam. Welcome back. Welcome back to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez, and we're here at the Denina Center in Anchorage at the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention. And today we are talking about one of the issues that has been talked about this week at both the Elders and Youth Conference and here at the convention, and also a number of events taking place in the city, um, talking about sex abuse and also missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And I want to welcome back both Yvonne Peter and Richard Peterson to the conversation. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And Thanks. I also want to um, introduce uh, Adrian. Uh, please introduce yourself. Good morning. Uh, my name is Adrian Titus. I serve as a uh, community organizer for Native Movement up in Fairbanks. And go ahead and tell us a little bit about your work when it comes to this issue. Uh, we have been focusing on um, connecting the, the violence against women and children along with the violence against the land. And we uplift uh, indigenous voices and communities that are impacted by, by these both um, really important issues that are not talked about enough in our in these spaces. And um, you're wearing a Defend the Sacred shirt. There was a rally held yesterday. Um, were you involved in that rally? Yes, I was. I was one of the organizers. We, um, we really wanted to bring to light the um, missing and murdered indigenous women in Alaska. And that was really a, a, a vital part of our rally yesterday, um, just to bring awareness to the, the large numbers that we have right here in our state. We've seen the movement across um, Turtle Island, and, and we're seeing uh, a need here in Alaska to address these issues uh, in spaces like this at AFN and the conventions where all of our tribal leaders are coming together. And tell us a little bit about the event. Um, there were speakers. There was also some artwork that was set up um, to, by some artists. Um, what, tell, tell us a little bit about that. So we had... Uh, 
Sarah Whalen Lunn and Apayo Moore come in and do some phenomenal artwork um, just to express their own uh, personal feelings and their own uh, stories. And we had a phenomenal group of speakers from all over the state, leaders, young leaders, um, and come together and just share uh, a little bit about their own stories and, and bring their own voices. We had uh, Kwana Potts, who is a phenomenal young woman, stand up and, and uh, demand an end to this violence against our, our lands and our women. And uh, both Richard and Yvonne, you were also at the rally. Um, Richard, what were your thoughts on just being in attendance and maybe what you got, you took away? Um, <clears throat> to hear Quano speak really brought a tear to my eye. Um, to hear a young person um, really call out the truth and, and to kind of demand that we be better and do better. And it, it was pretty impactful on me. And Yvonne? Well, I want to start by thanking all of the women who organized that uh, rally. It was profoundly moving and powerful. You know, uh, it was really a ceremony um, of acknowledgement of all the um, missing and murdered Indigenous women and um, hopefully to their families, for their families as well, but also a real powerful stand for justice for our women and our children and our lands. And um, I, I was really happy to be able to just be there um, physically present to witness it all and to be of support of those who are taking that courageous stand to share their voices. And uh, Adrian, the part of protecting the land and looking at maybe even revitalizing culture, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, really, we, we've been here since time immemorial, and we have been stewards of our land. And the desecration of these sacred places and these sacred sites impacts our women, our children, our warriors. And without that acknowledgement of, of that impact that we have on our land, we're not going to acknowledge those missing and murdered indigenous women, the sexual abuse, this violence in our communities. And so bringing those together and shedding light on both of them as one is really, really important to move forward in healing. And there's um, something going around called the Protector Pledge. What is that? Yes, our Warrior Protector Pledge. We are asking our men to make a pledge to uh, defend the sacred, to protect our women, to protect our lands, to take a stand um, and to defend what, um, what is sacred to us. We're asking them to take a stand against violence. And what are your, th your thoughts on them? You know, um, I think it's really important as we talked earlier in our conversation about um, kind of taking hard issues and dragging them into the light. I think creating spaces where people could come together and like we did yesterday and to um, kind of breathe that uh, truth into the air by taking it and uh, it's hard to um, ignore or be passive about things when you keep breathing that truth out into there, right? So when we speak our truth, it motivates. Um, 
earlier Debbie mentioned the Fairbanks, uh, the Tanana youth that spoke five years ago. You know, that motivated people. And I think uh, it, it helped people start saying, you know what, enough is enough. And, you know, this young girl, Ashley, being murdered, that for me, that was enough is enough. You know, I have nieces and nephews that life. And, you know, some of them are 10 years old. I have, a ten, you know, many of them are in that age. To imagine something like that happening, it's, it's time for us to do that call to action. And it's all directly tied together. You know, um, I spoke yesterday about respect and, you know, colonizers have a very strong respect and, it, and it's for the materialistic, it's for money. And that motivates um, many people. And that's not a value that is inherent to us. And so I think that's what's really throwing off who we are as a people. And so it's decolonizing ourselves and shaking that off. But you have to, you have to speak your truth to be able to start to do that. And Yvonne, your thoughts on the pledge? Well, I signed the pledge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I think that um, it really is um, time for us to step up and stand to stop the violence against our women and children and lands. Um, you know, our people, our worldview for our, our people, and I'll speak for my own people, I guess, only, but, you know, is one of maintaining a balanced relationship with the land and the environment, the spirits around us, as well as each other as human beings. And that balance is underlined by a foundation of respect and honoring and understanding. Um, and and I think it's really important for us to move in that direction. And I think that it's important for us to send that message really loud and clear to um, other um, men in particular, in this, in this case with this pledge, that um, it's time for us to stand up and to stand by each other too. Because I think that, you know, there's uh, stigma and ostrac being ostracized is a concern and a worry for people. And um, we have to be able to move past that. And I think that was one of the most powerful things that this um, rally yesterday was seeing. Um, so many people standing side by side so that they each could have the strength to speak that truth that, that Richard uh, mentioned is so important. Um, I think we have to move um, out of a space where there's fear to speak truth and, and fear um, to push forward for changes that are needed within our communities. And our producer, Emily Schwing, went to the rally and she spoke to some people. So let's hear a little bit of that. Well, for, for a long time we were told not to talk about it because with the stigma and taboo attached to it. So it's time that um, we begin that healing journey. For me, um, when I went to that meeting yesterday, I shared something that happened to me. And, and so it was it was good to sleep again. And so if and that's part of the healing and what they're doing to yeah. here today, um, I want others to know how to sleep again too. Does sharing your story make you feel like less of a statistic? Um, no. When I look at things that way, it, it, it helps me seeing that we're growing in numbers and that we're not alone. Because when you think about that and what happened to you, you don't want you don't know who to share it to but here collectively this is a safe place to talk about it and that was barbara franks the chair of the statewide suicide prevention council and she was at the rally yesterday um adrian your thoughts on what barbara had to say 
she, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Barbara is a powerful, powerful being, and she really has a way of bringing that, giving space for people to use their own voice and feel safe. Um, and, and she was right. We want to be able to provide a place for individuals to come together, to share their stories, to feel safe, to be able to know that they're not alone. And, and a lot of times um, that's how our, our people feel living in these small communities where everybody knows everybody and a lot of times we're related and um, those stories when they're talked um, a lot of times they're kept behind those walls and we want to break that down and we want to be able to um, live in communities where there's there's health and well-being and, and it's safe for all. And what, what is being done, Richard, where you're from to address suicide and especially in connection to when it comes to people having these thoughts of depression and suicide dealing with being abused? Right. I really think uh, we haven't done enough, really, to be quite honest. Um, we typically have remained grant funded for those activities. And so I'm working to build a um, program where we can take some of our economic monies and put towards prevention. And I talked earlier about having a program where we start teaching respect and, and connection and, and through our culture. I, I, I love this quote by our late Dr. Soboloff, when we know who we are, we don't hurt ourselves. And that what that means is having your cultural identity, having your uh, sense of uh, your name, your clan, where you belong, who you belong to. Um, and then culture, you know, I'm pretty open. I've been uh, clean for 16 years. And the first step for me was reaching out to my culture, uh, starting to carve uh, and work with folks. And uh, we had a late master carver, Stan Marsden, who did a, a healing heart totem pole because his son had died of addiction, uh, overdose. And so that healing through our culture, being involved with that, that's where you're able to kind of find yourself again. And t talking about healing and moving forward, there's work also by artists who are who are using this issue and um, creating projects. I got to speak with Amber Webb, who created a Cuspuck project where she put the faces of uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women on this very large Cuspuck, which was at the rally and has been featured in different places in town. I think that the epidemic is so... It has such a huge impact on our communities that we can't afford to be quiet about it anymore. Um, and I don't think that a lot of people understand how much weight we carry. And so I, I made this project to kind of visualize the weight of, of the loss on our communities because it's, um, it's impossible to quantify, but it's, you can't have healthy communities when it, it, it when you're struggling to recover constantly from violence you and and it's it's systemic violence and I think the only way to change systems is you have to find a way to make people feel the impact of what's happening when they can't relate to it and so I tried to make this was my attempt at, at making a visual representation of, of 
those feelings so that you can't look at it and say, oh, just numbers or, oh, that's, th this must have, like, you can't disregard it because it's, it's faces, you know, and it's, it's people's family members. It's, it's people, you know, like we can't forget that we can't forget the humanity. And I think everybody's got a role to play to try to solve this problem of um, like violence in epidemic proportions that's directed towards Native women. Um, but I think that if, if we just shoot from one direction, like if it's just changing laws, somebody will change them back if we don't change mindsets. And if it's, you know, I think the other part of this was um, that each one of these women has a story and in drawing their portrait and then um, through sharing it with people in the state, I've heard a lot of stories about the women on this project and I think that when indigenous women share their stories and I think we reclaim our identity and I think it makes it harder for people to stereotype us and I think that that's a big problem is that you know so many times when these things happen Native women have to defend themselves and defend the circumstances that they were in when things happened to them and that's that's just ludicrous that should not be the case you know um, so I I was trying to show that like when you look at all of these faces you you can't you can't wonder like oh well I wonder what she was doing or I wonder what you know just look at their faces and you see them and their people and that was Amber Webb who created this large cuspuck um, to raise awareness about in missing indigenous uh, women and girls. Um, Adrian, your thoughts on what Amber had to say? It's powerful when you put a, a face to a story and when people see that there was an inua, a spirit, someone there that's represented. And, and it gives people the opportunity also, like she said, to also tell their own story and to feel safe. And, and I think it is important for us to, to see that th there isn't just a for forgotten name or somebody that has been left behind in this, in this violence that continues to perpetuate from the systems that are in place. And so, the more that we bring awareness to this issue of missing and murdered indigenous women and put faces to their stories, the more people are going to be able to resonate with that and see that there, there really is an issue here that needs to be addressed, not just within the nation, but within our own state. And it's also not just visual art. Um, we had a at the Elders and Youth Conference this week, we had a hip hop artist who, sh who came and spoke to the young people and then he shared one of his songs. 
Young native girl, she was only 15, naive with big dreams. At the gym and hitting threes, hitting threes with the ease and would travel with the team. Pretty smile up on her face, but the inside wanna scream. At her mom's playing cribbage, she would ball, she would scream. It's not her fault, she had to deal with all the wrongs in her village. Alcohol had to witness, sex assaults were committed, and her father was in with guys that caused her some incest. She puts her jersey on, lacing up for LeBron James's. It's the only way to escape, cause all of her thoughts painful. A cool little team, but her self esteem way low. And she missing her dead cousins, but they all got hate. Lows. The course, the only way she could let out her aggression. It's the only th time she feels good and could look at her reflection. You may listen close, and I hope you get the message. Since the age of three, this poor Nate has been molested. I know it's hard living in the Ville. And you pray to God, like, why you got a deal? Thought of hurt and pain that a native gotta feel. All these wounds afflicted are the deeper than the heal. Yeah, ball, little native girl. Work hard, little native boy. Work hard, little native boy. Ball, little native girl. Work hard, little native boy. Work hard little native boy, young native man. He was only in his 20s with some suicidal thoughts, staring at a 30-30. Had some dirty things happen at an age of so early. He was raped by his uncle and he gave the boy herpes. It brought him down a path of methods and drug use. And every time he has an itch, he thinks it was done to him. He feels sad and feels anger and putting the gun to his head and grabs it, holds the trigger to put it down cause couldn't. Do it so the fluid that he's drinking is R&R, &R, a red cap, trying to skip the thoughts in the darkest part. A long time ago is when he lost all his faith in God. Like since he's a child why did this happen to your boy? You were sent here to protect me. Why neglect me? Left me infected. That's his constant battle. Got a noose on him for a necklace. Goes through with the suicide and stuck with that haunted question. His grandma found him when he brought some soup over there for breakfast. I know it's hard living in the Ville. And you pray to God like why you got a deal. With all the hurt and pain that a native got to feel. All these wounds afflicted are the deeper than the hill. Yeah, ball little native girl. Work hard little native boy. Work hard little native boy. Ball little native girl. Work hard little native boy. Work hard little native boy. And that was a native hip hop artist, Bishop Slice, who shared that song with the elders and youth this week. Yvonne, I want to go to you first. When I think about the fact that every single one of us has a role and a place and something to contribute to help bring about the changes that are needed when, um, you know, in the, with, um, was it Sarah was the artist, I think, um, or maybe it's another one. Amber, yeah, with Amber's statement, you know, when she was saying we have to humanize the, this reality so people can feel and understand the significance and the impact. And that also echoed what Debbie said earlier, that people are still coming to her saying, I had no idea. And it's like, that's a constant reminder for us that we need to continue to elevate these voices and support these voices to be heard and, and create spaces for people to tell their stories, because that's also a part of the healing process for those people as well. Um, when I hear, you know, a hip-hop artist uh, like Bishop Slice dropping some lyrics that reflect the reality for many of our young people, you know, I, I hope that our young people hear that message and understand that there are adults that understand the, the suffering and some of the hardships that, that they're facing in their life and that um, we want to be a part of the change so that that doesn't have to continue. And, and, and so it's really wonderful to hear that voices and see the artists coming out and expressing it through their own mediums you know um, their perspectives and feelings on these issues Richard? yeah again it's really powerful i think when you hear those truths um brought out and talked about i was there when he did his rap and uh i don't think there was you know, a pin could have dropped you know everybody was very attentive 
and the young people, he was speaking to them in a way they were hearing, you know. Um, and I think that's the great thing about people expressing themselves through different mediums, through their art forms. You know, seeing that cuss puck with those faces, that's a pretty stark image to, even if you don't know why it is, you, you want to ask the question, you know, and I think that helps. It helps draw it out. And, um, you know, art's a tangible thing that we can all connect to. And so it's uh, bringing it out in a way that folks like us that are leaders, we stand up and say this stuff. And, and I think people it has an impact and people do listen. But if you really want to reach the youth, you have to do it in a medium that matters to them, that's relevant to them. And I think that's what was happening here. And, you know, I keep going back to what Debbie said about the youth from Tanana who were so courageous to come out five years ago and share the realities in their villages. Well, now, you know, I know they were actually criticized when they went home for it. But I think now it's getting less and less of that and more courage to be able to tell our stories. When it happens at AFN and you can see it on the big screen here and then you see it at home, you're speaking across the state to people that might not otherwise hear it. And they can feel that courage through those expressions that they're hearing to speak their truth. Adrian, I hadn't heard that until right now. So, um, it's powerful. And like Richard said, speaking that language is, is what we need more of, is being able to communicate with our young people in a way that they're going to be engaged, in a way that they're going to understand that it's okay to step forward and to tell their own stories and to use their own voice to make a difference and to reach other people because sometimes our youth do get up and then they tell their stories and maybe it isn't reaching um, reaching to a, a audience or a group of people that weren't listening before but when we hear it in an art form or when we hear it in a way that is um, expressed for them to understand in their own language it really is impactful and it's powerful and it's uplifting for them to be able to feel safe and to bring themselves to that space to where they're able to tell their own stories as well. And Yvonne, what needs to be done to make sure that conversations don't stop? You know, after AFN week is over, what, what needs to continue to make sure that this is still an issue that's being discussed and addressed? I mean, I think action needs to be taken on many levels. It needs to be taken on an individual level. People who are attending these rallies, hearing these conversations, um, maybe they themselves need to seek out their own healing and counseling and support to uh, whether they're a perpetrator or a victim so that we can begin to all be a part of pushing forward with those changes to the family level. Um, at the community level, there's leaders that are taking action, stepping up. I think we need to continue to see grassroots efforts um, like rallies, creating those sorts of spaces. We need to continue to see resolutions at places like AFN that are pushing for systemic changes in the justice system. Um, we need to continue to convene spaces. Um, at the university, we have, uh, we're one of three national centers for suicide prevention of Native American and Alaska Native youth in the country. And we're convening large hubs and conversations of people from across communities. Our next major convening up in Nome in March. So I think that on all these different levels through multiple institutions at the individual, family and community level, tribal level, um, these actions need to be taken. And I do want to say that, you know, one thing that hasn't been brought up on the show yet is the LGBTQ community. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge that that community and, and say it's okay to be who you are. And through these impacts of colonization, you know, I think there's also stigma there and, and a, a lot of suffering and challenges in this realm of sexual abuse. And so 
um, I think we just need to hold each other up and support each other and say, um, let's all be who we are, um, and that'll help us move forward. And uh, Richard, your uh, last thoughts. I, you know, I'm glad that Yvonne brought up the LGBTQ community because that's a large part of our community. When you talk about suicide prevention and harm, I think that's that sense of um, not belonging can can really push them out. And uh, four years ago, Clinkett Haida was one of the first tribes really to recognize uh, marriage for all. And we actually did it before the Supreme Court, which I'm really proud of. But, you know, I had people reach out to me and say it was the first time that they ever felt like uh, they belonged and it was to their tribe and how powerful that was. And so, you know, we need to continue to do that, operate, you know, in love and respect and, and not hate. You know, somebody who's different than me doesn't make them wrong. And I think that's something that um, is really pervasive in our um, society now is that we all have to conform and be the same and we don't. And so that message needs to be really strong. So, and uh, Adrian, your last thoughts? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I I really appreciate you uh, giving us time to come together and bring bring conversation to this. And I I think to complete this circle of healing and to continue moving towards healthy communities and wellness for all, we do need to continue having these conversations. We do need to continue um, coming together and planning from all those different levels that Yvonne had mentioned and come and coming together with our cultures and our traditions and our way of life that has really helped upheld us as a people um, and strengthened us and so um, just really giving not just women and men um, everybody in our communities that that chance to be able to speak and to use their voice and to tell their story. Well, I want to thank all of you today um, for the work that you're doing and for also uh, being here today to talk about this. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Sit. This is Alaska's Native Voice. I'm your host, Antonia Gonzalez, and producer Emily Schwing. Join us for a conversation on culture tomorrow on Alaska's Native Voice. AFN, Alaska's Native Voice, produced and directed by Antonia Gonzalez, Emily Schwing, and Nola Daves-Moses. Funding support from Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, Rasmussen Foundation, Conoco Phillips, the Siri Foundation, Exxon Mobil Alaska, South Central Foundation, Donlin Gold, Manalik Association, Chalista Corporation, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. This is a production of KNBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.